0: Welcome to episode four of the Cancer Sisters podcast. We are two weeks post. uh, (laughs) I forgot the word.
1: Low back to me. Low back to
0: me. Um, I'm Nicole.
1: And I'm Amanda. And this is episode four, falling through the cracks.
0: Tom Petty's "Free Falling." Sorry, that's all you get this episode. (laughs) <laughs> Still sounded really good. <laughs> Thanks. We're gonna do something a little different because Amanda recorded uh, a few minutes of her own thoughts while alone, and we're gonna start with that. Here we go. Okay. And I do have a few comments of my own. Just. To-
1: well, I am sitting outside and so this may not be the best recording but we're gonna try uh because i'm sitting by myself and one of the things i wanted to talk about and just kind of get through um emotional for me and it's easier to talk about uh, by myself because if i say it in front of someone i tend to get a little emotional so um, on the heels of our last podcast, we were talking in the hospital in what I had the chance to observe is how wonderful my brother-in-law is and how he was just there every minute for my sister, which is so important. It was the thing that provided her so much comfort through like this major event in her life, major surgery. So as I got to thinking one night when I got home, it struck me that um, I'm going to have a major surgery in the future when I am finished with this round of chemotherapy. And, um, I don't have that. And I, and it's not to say I don't have a wonderful support system and my family is amazing, but I don't have my one person. And this is something we'll get into when we talk to a little bit more as a group, like what it's like with my sister being married, going through treatment in me being single. And, um, I had a lot of like, when I referenced that in the first podcast, people were so rude and they are like, Oh my God, you're single. How are you going to go through this? And I thought, well, I just have to because it's a strange experience to explain to someone. Um, cause you're like, duh. But when this, this is something that someone cannot help you through and meaning no one can help me through my cancer treatment. I have to take the nasty drugs. I have to get through it all. And that is something that you can only do yourself. You have to have the willingness to fight for it, to do it. And it's not to say, you know, people can't drive you or provide you food or do any of the things that people do for you. That's not what I mean. It's like you have to find the will inside yourself to get up, in fight, but I'm thinking about this major, major surgery I'm going to have. And who's the person I'm going to call in the middle of the night or that will stay overnight with me. And I don't, I don't have it. So it led me to some other thoughts about being single, which was, um, that as I approach 50, I'm a year and a half away from that. Um, I always sort of thought to myself that I would not be single at 50 and I didn't want to be single at 50, uh, because I'm so self-sufficient yet. I really, really want my person. And then the next thought struck me, which is I might not make it to 50 and that's the thing I can't say out loud in front of someone else without it being very shocking, but hearing stage four, hearing metastasis, my brain went straight there, straight to mortality. Um, and all I can think right now is that I still want the chance. I still want the chance to be married. If I get that chance, I still just want my person, my life partner, whatever you want to call it. But I thought I'd have a husband and To go further into that, I have people in my life that I tried dating and didn't work out that will check on me from time to time, but they're not really in my life right now. And I'm talking about some men specifically because they don't want to deal with this. They're not the person that's going to stand by me. They're not the person that's going to dig in by my side and deal with all I'm dealing with right now the treatments and me being sick and me being so fatigued. I can't work. And this surgery I keep talking about, which has, you know, a week in the hospital and then three to four months of recovery and then a second surgery and some more recovery and that's the most difficult part of this last time I talked about it I was just crying a bunch of tears and right now I can say it fairly emotionless but it's a really upsetting kind of uh, reality is the word I want so that's something we're gonna dig into Um, and I know my sister has comments on this and We're going to go further into it and she's going to talk more about the support that she does have and it'll be a real interesting perspective. So I don't, I wanted to bring it up because there are other people just like me that are going through this that don't have their person. And I feel like it's something we should discuss. So more on that soon. Uh, Thanks for listening.
0: As you suspected. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things I really want to to talk about is, and you you talked about in your own comments, is the difference between our circumstances, and you know I've been married almost twenty three years.
1: Yeah, it's been
0: a, through a lot of shizat in twenty three years. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and Trent is and has been I mean just just phenomenal. Like I cannot complain at all. I do. Yeah to him a little. yeah well you can (laughs) complain to him
1: but he's been amazing
0: (laughs) i do criticize a little but that's like sometimes sometimes um no but he's been absolutely phenomenal you know and so he is my one person although i am surrounded by people to include you right and so you you talked about your difference and not having that one person and your desire to have that one person to have your You know your partner for life. I also kind of want to to challenge you to reframe that a little bit because it's totally. I mean, as human beings, we're built that way. We crave companionship and we crave other people, and that's right. And that's totally normal. Um, But I kind of wondered if you would think about or maybe reframe or kind of talk about what um what you do have you sort of glossed over the people family and friends you have in your life but who for instance you said will be the person you call in the middle of the night or who might stay with you or who might say come stay at my house right just to kind of think about how your um, situation is not your ideal but is wonderful Nonetheless,
1: I don't discount it, but as I have referenced before, the hardest part of us having to go through this together is you're my person. Like you are the first person, I would go to. Mm-hmm. Okay, and George and Heather, and it, you know, and certain things. I mean, Mom's Mom's around, and 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 then that goes, you know, like and Susan them. and even um, longtime family friends that are great friends with Mom and they've offered all kinds of support and I have wonderful girlf- girlfriends you know and um a counselor said to me a few years ago this was like pre cancer um that and I really didn't like her perspective cuz she was like <laughs> you know screw finding your per- your soulmate and you know and Talking about how most of the time, if you're going to end up married, you meet that person in college. And I was like, well, (laughs) I passed that by. But also relying on your girlfriends for, and I think there is something to that theory, that you have, like, I'm so fortunate to have these lifelong friends, you know, and like Lauren being one of them when we met when we were 13, and some of my college friends, and Layla, um you know, from, there's so many there's too many people to just, right, into adulthood, just too many people to actually mention, but I know that I can call on them, but the hard part is everybody's married, has kids, has jobs, so the hard part is there's not the one person that can take off work to be home with me,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, like, I will need some, I will need round-the-clock care when I get home, and that's, That's where I'm coming from. Yeah.
0: I have a couple different thoughts about that. But before we get into that, one of the things I was... um, Well, I just kind of lost it. Oh, no, I remember. Okay. (laughs) We're both medicated. Sorry. (laughs) um, Sorry for the coughing and the heavy breathing. That's apparently what life without the upper lobe is like after two weeks. But... Yeah. um, Don't apologize. (laughs) But even, you know, um, Trent was taking care of the lawn... Which I'm very grateful for. And both of my daughters were off working. And um, I'm taking medicines that preclude me from driving. Right. Also, um, not really pushing, pulling, or lifting with my right arm makes driving not the best choice anyway. But, you know, that I have to call you. Also, (laughs) like, twice today, friends, I called Amanda for help. Um, and I know some of our friends who are listening are like, why didn't you call me? Yeah. Um, because so many people have offered and sincerely offered and would do grocery pickup was one that I asked you to do. And then, you know, for you to come back and get me so we could podcast today. I know, what, I, know I, could being, ask. I, of I could course. ask so many people.
1: It just ends up being easier because, you know, there's no explanation. You don't have to say um, you know, when are you free? And still, if I were the person listening that was our friend, I would be like, that doesn't matter. Like, I know, but it's we also live three minutes apart. So it's like, you know, it took me like three minutes to get to Giant Eagle and then well, maybe. 20 minutes of waiting and then three <laughs> minutes to get to your house. but
0: Four and a half minutes.
1: Yeah, four um, and a half. Yeah. But it is, we do rely so much on each other. That's, you know, kind of that's where I'm coming from. And who knows when I'm going to have the surgery, but, like, it'd be amazing if when I have my scan next week, uh, they're like, we got it all. It's gone, right? You know, it's gone. Because then I'm calling my surgeon, Mm -hmm. like, speed dial. Dude, let's get this going, you know, or the two surgeons. Um, Because I just want to get it out of the way. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but then, even when, you know, way back when we were talking before, I and I was supposed to have this in March, we were still running into this trouble because we're like, you know, do I stay at mom's and where do my dogs go? And we sort of landed like it would probably be best if I stayed at home. And um,
0: your dogs went somewhere else. The dogs
1: went somewhere else, which is a challenge of its own. But, you know, it's still it's still a consideration. But I'm putting the cart before the horse because... I got to get through um, the scan first (laughs) to see what's what.
0: Well, it's okay to plan and dream because I think we were in a place, and we talked about it here. We were both in a place where um, I think I described it as little balloons of hope. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a while there, I took a dip into glass half empty. And, you know, I had to have that biopsy and the lymph node on my neck. And I wasn't. Like, my my thought process was, I'm not waiting to find out if it's cancer, I'm waiting to find out what kind of cancer it is. Yeah. And lo and behold... It wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. Which is amazing. You know, and I thought, oh, it's not possible that the nodule they found in the upper lobe of my lung is it. It's going to be in my lymph nodes, and, you know, that whole process was tied to the inflamed node in my neck. But... Yeah. Also lo and behold (laughs) um not cancerous so it's you know generally speaking i think you and i are both optimists Mm -hmm. and we are we do have hope and you know it's so it's okay that was a long-winded way for me to say it's okay to look ahead and it's okay to plan thanks well
1: I do, and I was planning, you know, work stuff again today because it was like my brain flipped on. been very much in a, in a hole because my weeks have been especially hard with treatment and you're going through this really hard spot. So, like, I really couldn't think about anything else. So it was all health-related, and today my brain was like, let's think about work. <laughs> so I started... Uh, thinking about what fall looks like. And I can see clearly now the rain. <laughs> I had to quiet myself so you could <laughs> sing. <laughs> uh, I know, we shouldn't laugh. but um, Sorry I cut you off. No, it's totally fine. So, yeah, I mean, the, and the first time uh, I talked to you, well, last week about those thoughts like how I was feeling um it was I was full of tears and full of emotion and very much in a deep dark hole about um being single and mortality I went straight uh gosh am I even gonna be alive at 50 and I mean nobody knows I can fall back on that we never know what's gonna happen but
0: I did have some pretty serious comments I do want to respond to. Yeah. I don't see it lighting up. So, you know, I think I touched on this a little bit before that uh, I felt really ignorant after the conversation with your doctor talking, talking about your chemotherapy plan and how important it would be get how important it would be to get into immunology because you couldn't keep. You couldn't keep taking chemotherapy it's not a way to live right and I don't remember what I said to him actually but that was shocking to me because you know I never thought of it as like this you even though when I stopped to think about it I just feel stupid because yes I understand metastasis so I understand that means the potential for the cancer to come back or to to come and uh, crop up in other places And I didn't think about that's like, now that's how you're living. Mm -hmm. That was part of it. Um, Still, this might just be the way that my brain works. I I also didn't jump right to mortality for you. I just never did. And you have said that to me a couple of times. And when I listened to the recording from the beginning of the podcast that you did on your own, you know, about will I even make it to 50 as we approach, 48 and a half. Again, gorgeous 48 and a half year olds. Just gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Just glowing, also known as oily skin. Yeah, but we have great foreheads. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why, this is why our voice is not our camera. (laughs) But, you know, I just didn't ever, that, that just didn't ever occur to me. And for my own self, and I know I'm repeating myself, but for my own self, I didn't feel that way um, except for my first diagnosis of cancer Mm -hmm. was the thyroid cancer. And that's when I had all these feelings of mortality. So it's not that I don't understand them. It's just having, you know, having my thyroid removed and then knowing that that was it for the thyroid cancer and then the chemotherapy and the radiation and getting the remission news mm-hmm. for the rectal cancer. And then, you know, it, we we hit upon your diagnosis before mine. And it felt like, man, this sucks. Mm-hmm. But this is just what you have to go through. This is what you have to do. It yeah. never occurred to me. I realize my conversation here is a little disjointed. No, but I'm But like fine. when your doctor said, oh, no, 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 we're not talking about months, we're talking about years. I, it was almost like he physically slapped me in the face because I, it never occurred to me that we were talking about months of your life. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me that we were just talking about years of your life.
1: It, yeah. It, I think it's like... Uh, my brain and yours would have done this like you just shut off that part it's so bad to think about and because we are generally positive thinking and which i in which it's required to go through something like this that you only put positive thoughts in your head but i also think it's kind of like your brain protecting you not to think that way but in that visit that when you were there with with me it's yeah, you're going to live with this the rest of your life. Like, you're, You're, and he believes, oh, I'm going to live, like, a long, healthy life. But that's why it would be important for me to get into immunology. You don't mm-hmm. have to stifle those.
0: Nobody wants to listen to me cough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're healing. But um, I, because if I have to have chemo again, which it's kind of she's saying, you know, I could kind of expect it because once a metastasis, always a metastasis. Is that a new phrase? Should that come on a t-shirt?
0: Maybe a bumper sticker. A
1: bumper sticker. That's
0: not nice. (laughs) 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 No way. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh. (laughs) Siri, sorry to offend you. Siri, on my Apple Watch. (laughs) That was hilarious. How about that for timing? Thanks, Siri. (laughs) <laughs> well, oops, don't, don't, don't do it again. Okay. Ah,
0: technology. That was good. That's um,
1: not nice. That's nice. Um, I put the Australian guy in there because he's less annoying than the woman. Mm-hmm. We all know that. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, that's the hard part. And that's kind of why, you know, when I recorded, it was calm, but that's a really deep emotional place for me. Because um, because I'm looking at, like, you know, the the title of our episode, Falling Through the Cracks, like, I kind of feel like I fell through the cracks. Like, how did I make it this far and I still don't have anybody, you know? It's like, this is not what life was supposed to look like at 48 and a half next week. No. Yeah, it is. I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> On the 17th, 48 and a half. But um, this is not what I expected in any way. And I kind of gave up, you know, those expectations. Just like I realized that having kids wasn't in the card f- cards for me. But I'm just a little sick of being patient and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And, waiting. and I, felt like I, I feel like I fell through the cracks. Yeah. So.
0: I don't mean to ever say that like this you know you're, you're single um, because it's your choice I do think though it is
1: it has been my choice for well, much of
0: the time It has been your choice but I do think and I've talked to you this about this before you mentioned in that you know people that you've dated who are still sort of in your life where my perspective is it's almost like they clutter up your life and there's no room for the right person to come along. No, we're sitting in your bedroom. I'm staring at your closet, mostly black clothing. (laughs) Um, But it's like, you know, maybe there's some things in there that you could get rid of because the perfect sweater is out there for you and there's no room for it on the shelf it's not it's not that simple but there's people there's people who who give you give you friendship but some of the people you've spoken about they give you friendship but they but it's conditional yeah and whether it's friend or a romantic relationship i mean there there it has to be unconditional it's not fulfilling otherwise and so i think i think they sort of clog up the space and the other part of that is for me and i know this is kind of this is kind of mean i've no i've I've (laughs) said it to you before um but me, i'm always walking that line with you right is this mean or is this just sincere but when you let those other people clog up your life with their part-time friendship, you're also not letting yourself be the person who is open and ready to meet the right person. And that's where I started with, like, I don't mean to put this blame on you. I think this is a dynamic that is, it's not like you're making this choice. I just think that that's sort of the domino effect of ex- accepting that sort of part-time friendship from those people who are emotionally unavailable
1: yeah uh and i don't think you're wrong but also at this phase i'm in right now like i i wouldn't even want to try to meet someone i feel terrible about how i look i feel like i have very limited anything to offer i mean i'm sick um, I'm going to get my foot looked at tomorrow. But, That's good. <laughs> which is good. But I've been hobbling around for more than a month. I have no hair. Oh,
0: but you have a good-looking so good bald I got a, head. You know, I have
1: a good bald head. And the tattoo helps. I mean, most people look at me like, oh, I think she probably shaved her head on purpose. But, um, and I know I'm talking about physical things, but it affects me mentally. And then there's the whole thing with the reason I have to have surgery anyway. Mm-hmm. Which... We might get into that sometime, but it causes me to have some kind of social anxiety, which means I am in no way open and ready to meet anybody mm-hmm. right now. Um, it's you know, just,
0: I, I do mean generally speaking.
1: No, and I know, and it's and it's sad because there's nobody in the past that would give me even full-time friendship or any kind of romantic partnership. There's people that... They care enough to check in and see how I'm doing, but no one who would really be... They would not answer the phone in the middle of the night.
0: hmm
1: You know? Those are only my girlfriends.
0: So password is... Scrubs. <laughs> I won't sing. I won't sing again. There's been enough of that in this episode.
1: Well, yeah. Little blips. Everybody likes it mm-hmm. now. <laughs> But we can um, switch gears and talk about why this episode title um,
0: is falling. Fits the for bed. you
1: is falling for the cracks.
0: Yeah, well, like I think it, I think it applies to a couple of different things, which is why it's a fitting title. But I have, in the last year, been really, really angry. We mm-hmm. talked about the faith and the feelings episode, but I've also yeah. been really angry with. What the ways I've had to question and advocate for myself which I just think are ridiculous oh yeah just so ridiculous we talk about the most recent experience um, you know I was discharged from the hospital last Saturday when we recorded episode 3 I got the chest tube taken out four hours hanging out in the hospital room and then a um, chest x-ray And my lungs looked pretty good. And then I had that pain ball. I needed to wait for somebody to take the pain ball out. Yeah. Um, You were there for two, three more hours. Yeah. After that. Right, and it was just, you know, it was just when those things happened, I was physically okay enough to go home, but with absolutely almost no information. Yeah first of all, the like leaving the hospital was a total debacle.
1: I don't think you've, you've, I've heard about that, even. Well,
0: so and they took the they took the chest tube out, re-recorded episode three. Yeah, I got the chest X-ray. We were still recording. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got the news that I could go home. But it was Saturday. and It was getting late in the day, and um, the nurse told me that she could take out my IVs. But she could not remove the pain ball which was something they put in um during surgery and was and i don't anatomically know how deep it was except that it was put in during surgery mm-hmm. and it was literally a ball of either you know lidocaine or novocaine or some kind of cane that um controlled the pain on the surface at the skin level yeah. because i had so many incisions And so the nurse said she wasn't able to remove that. Surgeon had to do it. Well, my surgeon had already gone home. So she needed to find some surgeons and, or a surgeon. And these two men walked in, said, are you Nicole? Yeah, they said, we're here to remove the the pain ball. You know, I kind of shifted in my seat and there were two of them because one was instructing the other how to do it. And then when it was over...
1: Like, they didn't even ask you if it was okay, if the resident was doing it? Or, no,
0: no. Student? Just, it just happened. I'm open to that, right? So that, yeah. that wasn't a big deal. Um, I was irritated at that point, but I was open to it. Um, and they uh, left shortly thereafter. And I got up because I needed to get out of that glorious hospital gown because I was going home. Right. And I stood up. And the pain ball and the tubes and everything fell onto the floor because they left it there sitting in the chair with me. What the hell? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, it's a good thing I can handle that because it's, it's gross. And I could yeah. see, you know, I could see from the blood how far it was into my body, which, which was gross. But, I, but yeah, I said to myself, like, What the? What's going on? Um, so, you know, I hobbled on over and it, getting dressed was like exercise. Right. You know, took a break. While I was doing it while I'm changing my clothes. Transport shows up with a wheelchair to take me down to the car. And Trent had already gone home um, to take Ava to work and whatnot and was coming back for me. I didn't know transport was coming. Right. So, I had to send him away. He did leave his wheelchair, but we, um, you know, part of going home was also getting prescriptions for pain medications. We sent them to our regular pharmacy, which was closed. Of course. Um, The two surgeons who removed my pain ball were able to uh, put in a new request to a different pharmacy, which online said it was open until 10 p.m., it was not. So, um, Mm. after I sent transport away, uh, I pressed my call button, and a tech came by, and a little back and a forth, and we found a 24-hour pharmacy mm. to get the um prescription sent. So she walked away, um, Trent came back, we sat for another 45 minutes or so, and by that time it was shift change, and our nurse walked by, and then sort of backpedaled, and she said, didn't anybody tell you that we got your prescription sent over?
1: Oh gosh.
0: So yeah, that's just no, how about you do it? <laughs> so God. um so we left and it was a brutal ride and a long wait at the pharmacy, which you know I'm not gonna complain about because that is just it was gonna be a brutal ride whether I went straight home or went to the pharmacy but, first. Of course, yeah. But yeah, I felt like, well, okay. That was clumsy. Mm-hmm. I felt like I fell through the cracks clark- there. And then, you know, I had uh, somebody at some point said I would receive home care, mm-hmm. living clinic, nursing, home care. And, um, well, I, I haven't. At all, still? So,
1: and you no. Well, you looked on your chart and then you got the runaround and you finally called your doctor. So, what
0: happened? Well, what happened is I contacted my surgeon's office about the home care. And then, well, no, I called the home care number. And they said that my um, request had been not declined. Discarded? Discarded. Why can I not remember that name, uh, that word? But, it, like, my home care had been discarded. So, I contacted my surgeon's office and through my chart when they got back to me they said, Okay, we checked into this for you and it looks like you're now under the care of your primary care physician and That's they're in bullshit. charge of it. So I'm like I didn't know that when I left surgery that my primary care was now in charge of my of my follow up and neither did my primary care physician.
1: It's ridiculous. And there who's was your appointment a, with on Friday? There was
0: no communication. Um with I have a follow up with somebody in the surgeon's office on Friday.
1: You're 100% telling them,
0: "Oh, I have a lot to say." Yeah. Yeah. So um String I did with
1: you? Yes, if not I will. Yes. <laughs> okay.
0: So I did uh, I did get connected with my primary care office and they did their best to connect me with home care. But somewhere along the way they gave somebody gave somebody an old phone number and an old address. You
1: have got to be kidding me! I'm gonna lose my mind right now. <laughs> so, oh my god!
0: I called again today. Oh. And I got a call back from the home care person who said the nurse would be calling me. And the nurse called and she said, "I'm so glad I have the right phone number." And then she gave me and she said, "We should check your address." And it was also an address. From almost six years ago. Oh, my God. And I've never had home care. So why the this home Seriously. care had... And I have not been at this primary care's office. With, with the old With the old address. address. I, I don't know. It's like this vortex of nonsense. So, um, <laughs> you know, I just I have four incisions I want to know. And I want to know if my shortness of breath and my coughing... And the random, maybe their lungs or muscles, spasms. spasms, I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's things that make me make funny sounds when I stand up. If any of that's normal, if that's, what ex- if that's what's expected. There was, you know, beyond look for these signs of infections and don't drive while taking narcotics and don't push, pull, or lift. With the right arm. Yeah. No information.
1: It's so irresponsible because think about if you weren't like as educated as you were. Like there's so many people that don't know anything. Like they, you know, I kind of feel that way about this port that I have because they were like, don't lift over 10 pounds. And you have to wait till it heals. They said I could get in and swim and everything. But I have been bruised for an entire, for two months and there was still a stitch in there.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, oh. Yeah. So are you healed?
1: I got, I'm like, exactly. So I got treatment on Monday and she's like, there's a stitch trying to come out. I'm like, pull it. Like for Christ's sakes. And look at it now. I mean, it's, look how bruised I am.
0: Yeah.
1: And she's like, oh, you're bruised and I have to go right in there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so, and it, and it, the weird thing is that is it makes the, because it goes into this carotid and then. Like, I can't, if I strain, I can feel it in my neck and I can't stand it. And so I'm like, I can't even lift an eight-pound dumbbell for fear of this
0: yeah. port.
1: It's ridiculous. So now I'm just getting fired up because of what happened again? <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. But it is, but if we summit, we come all the way back around, it's literally, if you don't advocate, advocate for yourself or have somebody advocating for you, you can't get anybody to care. You can have a really great nurse, and you did, you know. But then they go home, and you start the process all over again.
0: Well, I mean, and as it should be, like, we, you know, we had, we had trouble at the pharmacy when mm-hmm. I left. Like, Trent walked in, and they said, we don't have anything. So he came back, and he called the nurse's station. Well, you know, as it should be, the nurse who took care of me during the day did not report to the incoming nurse about me since I was being discharged. So by the time we had to call back, yeah, about the they prescriptions. Didn't even know you. No. And no, I mean and thankfully, you know, the day nurse did take good, you know, good notes or her record keeping so that they could they could find out what we were talking about and help fix the problem. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm
0: but it's just you know it's just kind of clumsy it's if i th- if i think way back to the way back when um i had the thyroid biopsy mm-hmm. and those results were inconclusive you know it was still likely cancer but those results were inconclusive they said you need to see a surgeon and um i didn't i don't re- quite remember how the referral system happened but um, I had a surgeon to call, and I couldn't get in for about six weeks. Ridiculous. And I know, you know, intellectually, the kind of cancer I ended up having was really slow growing. That three of the four types mm-hmm. of thyroid cancer are really slow growing. So that does not set off any alarms, mm-hmm. except the alarm going off in my head and my heart.
1: Like I have cancer right why am i going to wait 6 why weeks why am i going to
0: wait 6 weeks and and i know that i'm not unique in that oh no you know and then um in last last summer after my colonoscopy you now i was scheduled with with a person i a surgeon i had never met for the colonoscopy cuz that happens all the time right and that's fine he had the unfortunate news of saying you've got this mass that looks like cancer um he actually never said cancer he just said there's a mass. Suspicious mass. You, you need to take care of it. Right. But <clears throat> but what happened there is when you know that doctor um, or that doctor's office and the follow-up said, "Do you uh, do you have an oncologist?" Um. No. No. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to help me out there? Yeah. You know, and it was like, oh, it's 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 on me, like. One hand of that is I appreciate, you know, maybe I do know somebody or mm-hmm. maybe I get a recommendation from somebody. But when you're in such a whirlwind and a panic to have to do your own research to find an oncologist, it's like, you don't have a referral system. Right. So how that did happen is um, I, was, I was so flummoxed. I called my primary care physician. Shout out to Dr. Panzner. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to talk to him the same day. And I told him how frustrated and terrified I was. And I said, I don't know an oncologist. I don't have an oncologist. How am I supposed to pick somebody? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if you're open to it, I know an oncologist. And I said, yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And he was able to call her. And I was able to see her pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Dr. Leininger. Also known yeah. as... Liney. <laughs> Lining. Yeah, but, um, and, you know, and Dr. Panzer's always been that kind of doctor mm-hmm. for me, but um, Dr. Leininger is his sister, so he did have... Yes, He did A have an line. easy way to call her and yeah. get me scheduled pretty quickly. But still, it's, you know, there are plenty of people who are not... Um, who are who don't see a primary care physician regularly and don't have that relationship or those resources and then where do you go
1: yeah well and it was my gynecologist that was the person that um shout out to dr peterson was that (laughs) she she said i'm gonna make a call and the very next day i was at an oncologist's office you know Took a couple steps and then I landed in, but I, but then I you got into. You did not
0: fall through the cracks. I did that not was fall wonderful. through the
1: cracks. It was amazing, and so, um, not that I wanted to go back to Doctor Pleet. When you graduate from your oncologist, you you're supposed to maybe just see them out in the world and just not see them awesome in the law office again. But I got him back. I got my nurse back. I got everybody. And so there was comfortability and they knew me. And, you know, at the first visit, they're like, why are you here? <laughs> you know, but at least I was still enveloped in care, you know, and I feel so fortunate for that. But but there are so many reasons why you've just got to ask questions and you've got to advocate and you've got to stand up and say like, this
0: isn't good enough, mm-hmm. so. And we do we have to we have to keep that in mind because um a couple of people have reached out to you. Oh yeah. And who are who are willing to talk with us and be guests. Oh, I just can't show. wait.
1: We have like so many like good guests lined yeah. up. And this yeah. is one
0: question we need to ask because unfortunately I think I I think it's common. Like like we just did here, you and I can talk about practitioners who are who are compassionate and they listen and they take action. Um, and they help and they do everything they can to calm our anxieties and our fears about these, mm-hmm. you know, these pretty scary situations we're facing. And I even had, I think, one one of the, based on the way people spoke about him, like a surgeon with an excellent reputation for my lobectomy. But I've got questions about what goes on in that office because why is there no follow through? Right. You know? Um, i had I had you know some really um lovely and lovely people and um excellent practitioners as nurses in the intensive care and in the step down unit mm-hmm. um, but but what happened on Saturday? you know right why does it all come kind of crumbling down so those are questions I think that'll be interesting to ask other people about their experiences for too. sure
1: well and we were um you know, Lori reached out to us on Facebook and, mm-hmm. you know, she had, she's still an oncology nurse, so she had her beginnings as an oncology nurse. I need she's to reread that.
0: not working right now.
1: That's right. That's right. But that was one of her main concerns. Like, she said to both of us, like, advocate, pay attention because there's, you know, because the medical system, I mean, we could spend... A long time on that, mm-hmm. but we're not not on this one. We're
0: not. Well, no, and I think sometimes I have the habit of just kind of complaining. We don't want to complain.
1: No, go down to a. We want to share. We were sharing.
0: We don't want to complain. Well, thanks for listening, friends.
1: We appreciate it, and um, hopefully, the perspective that we could give you on our different situations. I think that can speak to some people. That's kind of why I felt like it's important to talk about uh, what I go through that's different from what you're going through just because I know that'll it'll it'll speak to people. Um, And the one thing I can say is don't be afraid to ask for help and rely on those amazing friends Mm
0: -hmm. because we
1: both have an amazing network and a lot of it overlaps.
0: (laughs) Poor friends. I know, right? (laughs) They're going through it too. (laughs) Well, until next time.